This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now where I sit here in Washington DC, democracy is heading for a major stress test. But while the eyes of the world may be on the volatile situation here, soon after America's election on November the 8th, to be precise, there is another election on the other side of the world in Myanmar. Now, Myanmar had its first general election in 25 years in November 2015. And here I just want to mention that I was there and one particular scene has always stuck in my mind and I want to show you the picture I uh, and some others took of a 92-year-old lady, Dao Mint Mint, voting for the very first time. Think of that, 92 years old and voting for the very first time. That's how important it was to vote, certainly in Myanmar in 2015. Well, the National League for Democracy, the NLD, came to power, but under a hybrid constitution that gives the military an impregnable footprint in parliament and charge of critical ministries. So the civilian government essentially operates within red lines. Now, what happens in Myanmar does not stay in Myanmar. With some exceptions, ethnic conflict has increased. The Arakan army is battling Myanmar's army, the Tatmadaw. Just the other day, Rohingya refugees showed up in a boat in Aceh province of Indonesia. As we know, the situation of the Rohingya is an ongoing, massive cross-border humanitarian disaster. There is fighting in the north as well. The Golden Triangle produces meth, crystal meth, for the entire Asia-Pacific. And this is only some of what is going on in Myanmar. Now, what to expect from November's election and what to expect beyond it? I'm joined today by independent analyst Dave Matheson and analyst and Myanmar advisor to international crisis group Richard Hosey. Uh, Dave, I believe you're in Mesot, and Richard, you're in you're in Yangon, right? Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much uh, for uh, giving us your time today, Richard. If I if I may start with you, in this election, some things may change, but some, like the role of the military, will stay the same. Nevertheless, what is the sentiment there? Which way is this heading in terms of November? So if you look in the center of the country, if you look at the Burman Buddhist heartland where the majority population live, there's still enormous support, even love and adoration for Aung San Suu Kyi and her National League for Democracy. And this center part of the country is where the majority of the constituencies are located. So whichever way this goes, the NLD is in a very strong position going into November. Uh, to form uh, the government uh, uh, next year. But that doesn't mean that this is an election which will not produce a lot of tensions, a lot of uh, anger in some places, a lot of problems as well. Because there are really two dimensions uh, uh, to the tensions. One is, as you've already said, between the Burman uh, majority, between the military and the Democrats, there's this long, um, Uh, struggle that's been playing out over decades of authoritarianism. And that's where this election is really important. It's the second round of democratic elections, as you say, to really bed in this idea that you have elections and you transfer power through the ballot. Um, but at the same time, there's an there ongoing civil war that's been going on for seven decades. There is a lot of disaffection in the other parts of the country, the border areas where minority populations live. They're not happy with the situation. Uh, many of them will not support the NLD, um, but this won't be enough to, to skew the outcome of the election, most likely. Dave, over to you and Mesot. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you concur? I completely concur with Richard. I, I, I think 
that, that these are elections in which the majority of the country will probably vote for Aung San Suu Kyi because that's uh, um, who they revere and, um, and, and support. Um, but I think coming into this election, the NLD doesn't have too much to show for the first five years of, of supposedly civilian rule. And I think the divisions within the country um, have, have just grown more, especially as Richard said, in, in the ethnic border states in which we're actually seeing more armed conflict um, and, and also no uh, progress whatsoever on, on Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, central pillar of, of, of peace and reconciliation. Um, and, and the whole point of a civilian government about, about healing the country. Um, she's actually presided over uh, actually far more divisions within the country, certainly in Rakhine, uh, which is the most extreme example, but in the North and the East as well. Um, she's made no real progress on, on peace and reconciliation. But a lot of those people won't vote for her or her government. Um, so she's banking on the fact that the majority of the country will, will vote her back in for a second term. So, Dave, staying with you for a moment, since its independence, as, as, we've, as we've noted, uh, Myanmar has been in a state of almost perpetual internal conflict. And in the process, armed groups have carved out territories, business empires, sometimes with the, with the collusion of elements in the Tatmadaw itself. Are you hopeful that any government given civilian power after November, and it looks like Aung San Suu Kyi, as you both say, do you think a second time around she will have more leeway, more of a mandate, more latitude to do something about it to address these long running conflicts? I, I think she had a mandate from the last election. I think she had it from, from November um, 2015. Um, she just didn't use it. I mean, this is a squandered mandate. This is a squandered opportunity. Um, almost across the board, um, uh, I think, to actually uh, achieve peace. She's actually been uh, even more divisive, I think, and, and less inclusive um, than her predecessor, President Thane Sein, who was the one who really started the peace process. Um, and, and so I, I don't expect too much from uh, a, a second-term NLD government that, that, that she's going to lead. Um, that's going to do anything different on, on peace because I don't think she has any ideas, I don't think she has any drive, um, and I don't think she has any commitment to this. What, what she really wants is capitulation, unity, um, and, and basically order, um, but she doesn't want to give any concessions to that. And she's, as, as, as Richard said, she's, she's in the struggle with the military, and, and that takes primacy over, um, uh, over unifying the rest of the country. And I think that's the tragedy of, of, of Myanmar, that it's Bama Buddhist elites um, in the center um, that are having this falling out and trying to kind of uh, uh, divide the spoils of, 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 of power amongst themselves and kind of forget the periphery and, 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 and forget all of these other communities in the country um, who are basically taking to arms struggle because of this ignorance and because of this marginalization. And that's the tragedy. Richard, when Myanmar transitioned to this hybrid democracy back in 2011 with uh, President Tensein acting as a bridge then really, there were a lot of these expectations and those expectations were on balance belied. Um, again, do you concur with Dave that nothing much will change? Is that fair comment going forward? I think we'll probably see five more years of quite a similar style and approach um, from the from from Aung San Suu Kyi and the NLD. I think what many people miss is that, of course, yes, there are many things that divide uh, the military and Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, 
you know, they were her jailers for years under house arrest. She was the beacon of democracy. They were the beacon of authoritarianism. But there are also many, many things which unite the military in Aung San Suu Kyi. They have the same instincts, the same outlook on the world on many things, apart from the democracy question and apart from the question of whether the military should come under civilian rule on many other issues, including how to relate to minority communities, uh, how to run a peace process, they're on pretty much the same page. And I think that's the reason uh, why nothing much will change. Really. And uh, touching on the Rohingya issue, because that has been the most prominent, you know, was, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi has had to defend Myanmar uh, against charges of genocide and so forth. And that's, uh, you know, continues to be out there. It's hard to be optimistic, isn't it, about res resolving the Rohingya issue? Uh, do you see any grounds for optimism after the election at all? I think it's very hard to be optimistic. I mean, obviously, at the moment, we have the pandemic, which has put a pause on even the, uh, the, the, the you know, pretend uh, uh, theater of uh, a repatriation exercise. Um, but at root, most people in Myanmar do not want the Rohingya back. That applies to the government, that applies to the military, and that applies to the majority of popular opinion. This isn't uh, expressed in such vitriolic terms in the streets or on social media as it was at the height of this crisis a couple of years ago. Uh, the country has moved on to have concerns about you know, other situations, other issues. But at heart, those people are not welcome in Myanmar. That has to change, but it's very hard to see how that is going to change in the short term. How to see that, yes. Dave, um, what should we watch out for past the election? Is there anything in particular that you will be keeping your eye on for any sort of fresh developments uh, after the election? What requires, you know, something to be done and what do you think we should watch out for? I, I think one thing that, that um, myself and, and many others will be watching very closely is, is I think, um, what will happen when the disappointment of the electoral outcome registers with a lot of ethnic communities? Um, because right now there's a lot of expectation that, that a lot of ethnic parties um, will be involved and actually do much better and, and therefore will be in a better position to receive political concessions, um, which might transform in, in, in some ways uh, to uh, a, a better position in, in the peace process. Um, and, and so there are raised expectations, even within the confines of, of the pandemic and, and, and the restrictions on that. And, and I think something to watch there is, is, is how much of those expectations will be dashed by the results. And so um, as, 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 uh, as, as much as we're looking at, at the electoral outcome and how many seats certain parties get, I think it's the political outcome. Um, and the divisions that, that will inevitably be amplified after the results come out. Um, that is really something to watch. And I think that's, that's fair to say definitely of Rakhine, um, uh, but also in, 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 a, in a lot of other ethnic states. And, and, and therefore, the divisions that exist now may, may very well actually be um, uh, exacerbated, I think, as a result of the election. Um, and, you know, elections are about division. They're not about healing. They're not about kind of coming together. Um, and so that's really something that, 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 that I'll be watching very closely. Interesting. Um, Richard, you're sitting in Yangon. I believe you've got rising cases of COVID there and, and you're under a bit of a lockdown again. What's happening? And 
Could you give us a larger picture on any impact the, pand the pandemic might have on the election? Yeah, so if we'd had this conversation one month ago, we'd have had a very good story to tell about coronavirus in Myanmar. There had been no uh, detected local transmission for weeks. All of the cases were coming in and being tested at the borders. Uh, it looked like Myanmar had dodged this one. Um, but that, that picture has completely changed over the last four weeks. There's been a, a surge in cases. It's still very low by international standards, a, a few thousand cases and a few dozen uh, deaths. But the, the trend lines are worryingly uh, pointing upwards. Um, and I think this could be the first real test for Myanmar and its very weak public health system uh, from the coronavirus. So that obviously uh, has everyone on edge. Uh, many places are in lockdown, including the whole of uh, Rakhine State. And people are starting to question, well, we're only six weeks out, seven weeks out from an election. Can, we, can the country really hold an election under these circumstances? If you're not allowed to leave your house, uh, how will you be permitted and will you feel safe to leave your house to vote? So uh, there are many question marks, I think, hanging over this now. So have uh, election rallies, public rallies come to a halt? So in the whole of Rakhine State, no campaigning is permitted except online campaigning. The problem there is that a big chunk of the state has no internet access uh, because of the conflict and because the government has shut down uh, internet access in response. Uh, in Yangon, uh, there is good internet access. But it's, it's, a, it's a very different kind of election. Uh, you can imagine uh, a Southeast Asian election without any rallies, without any people blaring speaker trucks, without anyone being able to see posters. Uh, it, it's kind of odd. Um, so in other parts of the country, some forms of campaigning are okay. But in Yangon, and most of Yangon, not really. Um, and that gives obviously a huge incumbent advantage to the NLP. Very interesting. Richard, Dave, thank you very much again for giving us your time today on Asian Insider. Thanks a lot and take care out there. So not much really expected to change after Myanmar's election. The military will still retain its role. Aung San Suu Kyi will still have wide support among the Bamar Buddhist majority. We have to expect Myanmar to continue to struggle with internal ethnic strife and to be volatile in the years ahead. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.